biohacking is, is it's a buzzword, <laughs> right? But it does actually represent something very real. As part of my training, what I've learned over the years is that not everybody can meditate regularly. And even regular meditators can't necessarily do it all the time. So because of that, and also because of my focus on resilience, what I've done is spent a fair amount of time studying and learning practices that help us to regulate our physiology. Um, an example of this is the one that I devised recently called the 226 breaths, which many of you will have done. Uh, and so all this is is a little breathing routine that, that changes our physiology. And the idea of these is this, is this, there's a thing that I call a psychophysiological state. Um, yeah, I'll give an example of psychophysiological state might be anxiety. It's just one, there's many, many. And, and what that means is that the mind and the body are singing to the same, you know, creaky violin anxiety tune or whatever it might happen to be. You know, it could be the orchestral tune of joy. It doesn't really matter. Um, and they, they work together quite deeply. Uh, so one of the questions that I've had quite a lot over the years is, what comes first, thoughts or emotions? And the answer is either can be there. I don't know if you've had the experience, you're going about your day, and then a thought pops onto your head. And then, you know, it might be a happy thought, it might be an unhappy thought. Chances are it's an unhappy thought. Um, I'm sorry about this, but this is a natural human tendency for a thing called um, negativity bias. And it isn't that we're deeply negative, it's that threats will always trump rewards. That is a, an evolutionary imperative. So when you're walking through the jungle looking for the strawberry bush, if you're totally fixated on the strawberries, you get eaten by the um, predators. So when you're walking through the jungle, what's happening is, is your brain is aware of your environment and it's looking primarily for threats. We don't have a jungle, well we do, it just doesn't have trees in it, right? What we've got is the, the jungle of the modern world, which is more complex and overgrown than any real jungle. And there are many, many layers and many, many sorts of threat. So what happens is we go about our day and something reminds us of a, a threat to, right now, our health, it could be our social connections, it could be the cohesion of our group, it could be our family, it could be our finances, it doesn't really matter, up it pops. And then there's a physiological response. And then we've got this alignment between the, the mind, a thought has arisen, and the body. And you, you can have the opposite effect. So you can get up in the morning or wake up in the morning and you've got an emotion. Chances are you've got the emotion as a result of a dream. Chances are that the dream is a reflection of some emotion during the day. To, to my experience and knowledge, this seems to be the, if, if you were to look at dreams, and there's, I know there are people who do these sort of dream analysis and so on, uh, but dreams very often um, reflect some sort of emotion that we're experiencing in our lives. 
And then so we wake up with that emotion. There's no thoughts yet, but when they start up, what they're doing is going to the place that that emotion points at, and then you're, there you are. So your emotions have come first, and your thoughts have come first. So when we want to rebalance this system, by far the best way to go about it is through the body. So I teach meditation, largely, and you know, mindfulness, the undistracted awareness of the experience of the present moment, which I shall do a little biohack to help you to experience shortly, is it's, it's something that develops from meditation. But basically, meditation is about becoming familiar with our mind. We go from the mind being something that can be disconcerting, scary, annoying, keeps going to the same places, goes over things over and over again, worries, etc., etc. And we can go from that to actually having a great deal of familiarity with it to the point, oh, it's doing that thing again. Well, I know what I can do. I have these handful of practices that I can engage in that will rebalance my mind and my physiology. Essentially, your body and mind put together um, is an ancient Hindu philosophical concept called the body-mind, which is, is useful. So what you've got is this mind and body working together and ultimately what it wants is harmony right and you think no it can't do because it, it's, it's doing all these it's frightened or it, it's annoyed or it's it's like causing me to say things and do things that aren't helpful for my happiness what it wants you to do is to give all of this up walk out that door walk into nature and live with your tribe in nature for the rest of your life and you're not doing it so subsequently, it has an agenda, and that agenda is actually a harmonious one. It wants you to find harmony. So why is it making me frightened? Well, it wants you to solve that problem, probably by walking away from it, because it's ultimately where we are nomadic hunter-gatherers. So when we encounter a place that's infested with venomous spiders and snakes, the purpose of the anxiety is to overcome any silly desires to stay there and to protect ourselves by getting up, moving all of our stuff up into the mountains where there aren't any. That is the source of most of our inner experience, is this attempt to find harmony in nature. And it only becomes a problem because we don't live in nature. So what do we do? Well, what we do is we become more familiar and comfortable with our mind and body, our physiology, the, the thought processes, the emotions, how they work together, and we learn to, learn to intervene in it. So for those of you that, perhaps just a quick check, has anybody not meditated? And it doesn't matter if you haven't. Okay, right. Um, that's good. It's good that you haven't meditated because what I'm going to do is introduce you to a little biohack with this bowl. Uh, it, you don't have to, but it's probably better if you either, so you, can, so you can hear it properly, 
is if you either close your eyes or you look down past the tip of your nose at the floor just so you don't get distracted by anything. And what we're going to do is listen to the sound of the bell in a slightly different way to the way that we normally listen to anything. We're going to listen to the sound of the bell moving through time. Stay with it. busy the mind gets, what it wants you to do, we're just staying with the sound of the bell. Okay, so I have a question. You can open your eyes if you wish. Uh, and, and what the question is, is what's in the sound of the bell? That's not a trick question. Any, any, does anybody notice anything in the sound of the bell? Vibration? What is it? Yeah. Yeah, there's movement. Harmony? And then there's the, there's a, a kind of wave. That's it. There's a wave. And there's how does it feel? Movement. How does it feel? The sound of the bell. Calming. Yeah. Peaceful. Still. And then there's the supplementary question, which is what's not in the sound of the bell. COVID, the BBC, um, mortgages, uh, careers, <laughs> okay, welcome to the present moment. So this is the, this is the first biohack. The first biohack, and what I'll do is, because you won't always have a bell with you, <laughs> ah, well you could, <laughs> world would be a better place if we all carried a bell. Um, what I'll do is I'll train you how to use this experience even without a bell. But we'll start off with the bell. So if you just listen to the sound. And we're just noticing the sound moving through time. And notice that there are other sounds There are movements in the room, movements in the building, 
sound of my voice. Traffic, which is usually annoying, but notice something. So if I sound the bell one more time, We're listening to the sound of the bell moving through time. And we notice that we can also notice all of these other sounds. moving through time. What this is, is a process of familiarization. So we can use the sounds around us to be aware of the passage of time and notice how everything changes. Okay, so here's another biohack. Most important thing is that you remain comfortable. So if you have a bad back and you need to sit in a particular way, you sit in that way. But if it's all the same, and it's not uncomfortable for you, if you place your feet flat on the floor and put your elbows by your side, and Gently balance your head on top of your spine. So this is the, the key element of posture, is actually the head being balanced comfortably on top of the spine. Because in the modern world, for a whole lot of reasons, we tend to lean forward. And so if we find that most comfortable place to balance our heads, because we're not leaning forward, we're not using all the little muscles at the back and sides of the neck, and big ones actually. And with the elbows at the side, what's happened is that our torso is more balanced. And so we're not using all of the muscles running down the middle and lower back to hold the torso up. So what's happened is all of these muscles that previously had tension, the tension's switched off. It's a biohack. <coughs> 
Now we also tend to have kind of innate tension throughout the body. Many of us will have been continually admonished to sit up in class at school. And so through that process, because it's not been taught as a relaxation experience, <laughs> we have a tendency for a tense physiological state. what we want to be able to do is to release some of that tension. So just the posture moves in one direction, it moves from stress to relaxation. <coughs> so another little biohack is to place the first fingertip and the thumb very, very, very softly in contact so softly that you can slide a cigarette paper between them. And you just leave it there. If the fingers open up, you put them back. If they tighten, you release them. And what that does all on its own is relax your hand. Now I want you to try a little experiment Put your tongue between your teeth and tighten your jaw muscles. It's good that you can't do it. The sensation of the tongue against the sharp part of the teeth switches off the jaw and causes it to relax. So as part of our posture, if we place the tongue gently on the sharp part of the bottom teeth, as most of us will have an overbite, that will be easy. And provided it's comfortable for you, the tongue up against the back of the top teeth. And that has two effects. Contact between the tongue and the sharp part of the bottom teeth switches off the tension in the jaw, the tongue up against the back of the top teeth causes to breathe in through the nostrils and promotes deeper breathing, thing called diaphragmatic breathing. So all we've done is alter our, t our posture. It's taken me a couple of minutes to talk you through it, but once you've done it, it only takes a couple of seconds to adopt this posture. And so here we are, we're sitting. We've got this open, balanced and relaxed posture. But there'll still be tension in the body. And what we'd like to be able to do is to reduce it. And so what we're going to do is start off by focusing our attention right on the center of the eyeballs. 
So if you imagine there's a, a kind of laser-like focus, we're going to focus on the eyeballs themselves. And while we're doing that, what we're going to notice is the out-breath. So all the in-breath is something that brings you from one out-breath to another. So breathing becomes a collection of out-breaths. While we're noticing the eyes, we've got our attention focused on them. And what we can do is scan down. So we bring our attention to the forehead, eyebrows, eyes and cheeks. And moving that awareness down the face as we breathe out. Just following the out breath, we're not changing the breath. We're using it. And the focus is as though someone's stroking down your face with their fingers. And then breathing in normally, breathing out, moving your attention down over the mouth and lips, jaw and throat, remembering that the tongue is in contact with the sharp part of the bottom teeth. We're just scanning down. And again, checking in with the posture in the torso and the head, elbows by the side, head balanced as comfortably as possible on top of the spine, breathing in normally, breathing out, gently scanning down from the base of the skull along both of the shoulder muscles the trapezius, on both sides down to where the arms are. And we're just doing that for a few breaths. And again, breathing in normally. This time, Again, following the out-breath, we're scanning from the wrist, down the hand, down the fingers, to the fingertips.
now what we want to do is, is check in with the lower part of the torso and the pelvic girdle, the area around the thighs, the buttocks, the hips, the waist. Just allow yourself to be aware of it, what tension there is there. And as you breathe out, release the tension from that area. Now, if we're seated in a balanced posture, we can actually let all of the tightness out of the body. We do it in a way that normally we'd slump. So we're allowing ourselves to slump but because we're sitting up straight, because we're letting all of that tension out, it's as if the body's settling down. And it pushes the belly out. And I let the tension out the thighs, which tends to be there a lot. Checking in with the shoulders. Allow the weight of your arms to pull down your shoulders. Whenever the tension creeps in anywhere in the body, it's like we're gently scanning the body, the eyes, the jaw, the mouth, the shoulders, the hands, the hips, the thighs, maybe even the feet. You'll notice a natural tendency, because we've trained ourselves over decades, for this tension to creep back in. And now you've learned the ultimate tool for stress, which is the out-breath. And by focusing on any part of the body as we focus on the out-breath, we're getting our wonderful human brain to do what it does best, association. It's associating the focus with the out-breath as the body moves into relaxation because in-breath is stress, out-breath is relaxation. Okay, so it's taken me a good few minutes to explain all of that. Once you've learned it, you can do it all in a second, in a single out-breath. You can breathe in, and then starting somewhere near the forehead, between the eyes, it's like a wave of relaxation moving down the body, starting from the head, moving down to the tips of your fingers, down through your feet and into the floor. It's a single breath intervention. Extending the breath. <clears throat> 
and changing your state of mind and body. And here so we can reconnect to the present moment again because while we're in the body we're in the present moment but only internally and now we're making a gentle transition out to the outside world gently return your attention to your surroundings okay so that that's a um kind of the ultimate biohack okay, there's there's a lot of things to explain there and it, it takes a little while to do it but once you've done it many times it becomes a single process you notice the stress kind of do it anyway that's what a sigh is we're, we're it's part of our genetic blueprint we we're aware that extending our breath relaxes us and um so subsequently we go into a difficult scenario we come out and we go like that what we're doing is we're moving into relaxation uh, because basically as we're breathing in um, uh, bodies in sympathetic mode uh, and what that does is that speeds up the heart rate and as we breathe out it's in the thing called parasympathetic mode which slows down the heart rate that's why we get a thing called heart rate variability, which is good and important. Um, and so you plug yourself into a modern device with a, with a heart rate monitor, you can notice that. You can see the heart rate going up as you breathe in and the heart rate going down as you breathe out. So what I'm going to do now is to teach you a practice that I've developed. And it's de I've developed it from ancient practices. So it's a new way. Um, of teaching and a new way of practicing something that's actually ancient. So there's a, a thing called pranayama. Has anyone done pranayama? And for people, yeah. Prana, prana is Sanskrit for breath or spirit. Ayama means extend. The ancients believed that breath and spirit were the same because when the breath goes out of you, spirit goes out of you. Uh, and so they recognized that there's a benefit to extending the out breath. And now we know why that is the case. And what happens is that what I'm going to do is teach you a practice where you, you're breathing out for 50% longer than you're breathing in. What that means is you spend 50% longer in relaxation mode than you do in stress mode. It actually fundamentally changes your physiology because what it does is it synchronizes the heartbeats on the in-breath and the heartbeats on the out-breath. So you can get to the point where every successive heartbeat on the in-breath is faster and every successive heartbeat on the out-breath is slower. That's a thing called coherence. It's only really useful to know 
that you're actually making those changes to your body. Uh, so that the, the, the extended in-breath is useful because we're moving the stressometer from tension to stress. The other thing is because the out-breath is longer, you're completely evacuating the lungs. Because you're completely evacuating the lungs, when you come to breathe in, you're filling them up again. Why is that important? Well, when we're stressed, we breathe from, we tend to pant. And people breathe from the, the top of their chest. And if you get dealing with somebody who's deeply stressed and you kind of, what can I do? Breathing with them and say, deep breath. Another deep breath. We all know this. You know, it's the sort of thing when one of the kids would get out unruly at school or whatever, the teacher would get 10 deep breaths. Joe, everything's going to be all right. Uh, and, and you're helping them get reconnect with their physiology, reconnect with their breath. And that, unfortunately, what not breathing deeply does is it fills the bottom of the lungs with O2 and CO2. And what you want to be able to do is to give your body the opportunity to redress what's key homeostatic balance. Let the body recover from that imbalance. So it moves, it creates this coherence it, um, because the, the out-breath's longer. It evacuates your lungs, helps you to rebuild your homeostasis and it moves you into relaxation mode and it does something else which I shall tell you about and I'm going to need another one of these so that you can follow along and it does something else that I'm going to tell you about shortly there we go so basically this is a little app called I breathe for those that are online it's a, an iOS app and there's a lot of breathing apps now and what I've done is I've set it so that it grows for two seconds it stays for two seconds and then it shrinks for six seconds this is what I call the 226 breaths so if you don't have an app the way to do it is to count it in your head so you say in your mind as you breathe in one one thousand two one thousand when you hold it gently gentle hold you say in your mind one one thousand two one thousand when you breathe out one one thousand two one thousand three one thousand four one thousand five one thousand six one thousand just doing the counting is useful in itself because what, what you're doing is you're using your busy mind and while it's doing the counting it can't be beating you up right um, there's something special about the in-breath what we're going to do, instead of breathing in in a single in-breath over two seconds, we breathe in in two gentle gulps. So it's hold for two, out for six. Two gentle gulps. Two-part in-breath, hold for two, out for six. Okay, so if you'd just like to follow along, based on this one, in for two, two gulps, gentle hold, out for six. And we'll just do that for a couple of minutes.
checking in with your posture, get the relaxation back. Right, so the other thing that happens that I didn't mention is the two-part in-breath or, or any, any breaking up of the in-breath. Okay, so when a child cries, the, the, when, when they cry on the in-breath, they break it up. So they don't go, wah, wah, they go, wah, 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 wah. What they're doing is soothing themselves. Some neuroscientists from the States have discovered that breaking up the in-breath as part of a breathing practice reduces your stress significantly. Uh, and they've named it, it's called a physiological sigh. So what we're doing is we're, we're relearning things that we knew that we've unlearned. So if you go to somewhere like India, you go out into the countryside, everybody's posture is perfect, right? You know, they could be on the catwalk. And you get these ladies walking along with big piles of sticks on their heads. And they're, str they're strolling along and they're arms are by the side and their heads balanced comfortably on top of their spines. And when they want to sit down, they just crouch down and they're there for ages. They're totally flexible. All of this, and we unlearn all of this. Uh, and so all we've got to do is let go of all of the things that our modern world does to us. Uh, and one, one of the, th the things it does is it tells us big boys and girls don't cry. So sub subsequently we unlearn the important things like the, um, the, the, the gasps on the in-breath and actually we unlearn the capacity to cry. Uh, it becomes, and there's a, there's a line in Europe, olive oil and butter. My mum was Spanish. You always knew how she felt. <laughs> Italians. Italians, they're bound to be somebody who's either Italian or, 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 or partly Italian, right? You know how they feel. 
You go, you go, you're going around the center of everybody. It's like, this is how I feel written on the, on their faces. Uh, and then of course, the further north you get, the, the, the more we find we're having to suppress our, uh, emotions because, you know, you get to the land of the British stiff upper lip. Uh, and, and that's okay, but with somehow or another, we've, we've got to get back to that, our humanity because this, the emotional process is an, is an, processing is an Im important thing. And all of these practices, they're not designed to suppress the emotion. What they're designed to do is to help us to rebalance our, our body, our physiology. Okay, so now here's, here's another one. Now all of these are they're instant practice. That 15 minutes I spent teaching you posture and breathing consists of this. All of it done in a single breath. Yeah. It's just all of the components are there. Yeah. Uh, and here's another thing that you can do instantly, and there's a lot of study gone into this. So this is, if you have much of a history in um, meditation, uh, especially if you're, I'm not sure, well, prob very probably in, in, the, in the Hindu tradition, but definitely in the Buddhist tradition, you're taught two things with the eyes. You're taught to adopt a downward gaze and you're taught to soften your gaze. So this is another thing that neuroscientists have learned. When you go out and you're in the countryside, let's say you're on the beach or, we, or you're, you're sitting on a, on a hill somewhere, it's very common for us to look at the distance. So you've got these horizon watchers on the beach. And we've all, we're all, from time to time, we're all horizon watchers. And we sit there and we're looking at the horizon. Uh, or we're sitting on a hill and we're just looking into the distance. That's got, that's got a name, it's called panoramic vision. Uh, and the way to move from focused vision into panoramic vision is to do this thing. It's to adopt a downward gaze because there's nothing panoramic in, in this building. You can't see the, the sky or anything from this room. And adopting a downward gaze is looking down at a place 45 degrees in front of us. Notice that when you do that, there's a tendency for the head to lean forward uh, because we want to straighten our head, but resist that, move the head back, comfy place, comfy place. And it, essentially it consists of the eyelids halfway closing down the eyes. You look at meditating Buddha statues in the caves in India, very often the eyes are half closed, that's what they're doing. They've adopted a, a downward gaze and we're resting our eyes on that spot 45 degrees in front of us. We're not moving the eyes around, we're just leaving them there, but we're not deeply, deeply focused on any specific point. It's just the place that we've chosen to rest our eyes on. And then what we do is we allow ourselves to become aware of our peripheral vision. And so your peripheral vision is fuzzy, and as you continue that, it becomes fuzzier for a lot of very good reasons. To become aware of the peripheral vision, 
generally we need to provide movement there. So for instance, if you move your hands to each side of your face, it's amazing how far back they can be when you're focused in front of you 45 degrees down. Soft gaze and downward gaze. And you're allowing into your awareness whatever there is at the periphery. So you probably put your hands to the side, then that gives you an idea where you move your fingers. That's, that's where you're allowing the information in from. And the same thing, we're sitting quietly. We're aware of sound moving through time. Checked in with the body. We're aware of the breath rising and falling. The tongue's up against the back of the top teeth. It's in contact with the sharp part of the bottom teeth. Whenever tension arises anywhere and we notice it, we're literally breathing it out with an out-breath. your eyes closed that's fine just leave them closed for a little while and then you open them back up we've got this soft gaze where we're letting in all of the information despite the fact that it's all become very very fuzzy Relaxing from the place between the eyes. Gently down the body on the out. The out breath is releasing the tension. do is lead you into another breathing exercise which is a bit like the 226 breaths but it's easier it's easier and softer and more relaxing so we're noticing the passage of time 
note. It's what the sounds are there for. They're there for you to notice them moving through time. And so either with your eyes closed or looking down past the tip of your nose, and you now know what that means when you hear it in meditation. It's adopting a softened gaze and a downward gaze. And we're balancing our head. And using our inner voice, we're counting on the in-breath. And well, the idea isn't to fill the lungs. It's all gentle. Gentle in-breath, gentle out-breath. In breath over four seconds, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand, out, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand, five, one thousand, six, one thousand, in, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand, out, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand, five, one thousand, six, one thousand. And then back to noticing sound. Moving through time. And in your very, very own time, whenever you're ready, return your attention to your surroundings. Okay, so what, that, what, that was a collection of, of little physiological changes. But you notice that when you add them together, they become powerful practices. I can tell that you're all relaxed. Teaching meditation is the only thing that you can do that when your audience falls asleep, you know you're doing it right. So you can take any one of those and they'll have a significant effect. Everybody's different, so you're all on, you're all on a spectrum of response to every 
every intervention. Some, some people, wow, this is great, it's changed my life, I do this every day. Something else, it just doesn't work, I don't notice any different, I don't feel any better, I don't feel any calmer. And your job is, it's a trial and error process, is to try out all of these practices and use the ones that work for you. And then you become an expert in them. And what you're doing is you're, you're learning those practices that are best at regulating your physiology and your mind. Because you notice that for many of you, your mind will be calm as well. This the quickest way in to calming the mind is to calm the body. Quickest way in to calm the body is with the breath. There's one other thing, you know, that I, I said you, you focus fuzzy, fuzzy, fuzzy. For, for many people, when the mind is very, very busy, focus on a single point. So if I, very, very often what we do is we use the, the thumb for this. And that's a thing called Trataka meditation. And you just focus on that single point. And, you know, got the same thing. Some people, they'll, they'll focus on, on the thumb and their mind will become calm. And this is actually sharp focus. It's not soft focus, uh, like, like the original one where we're aware of what's happening around us. It's all about that tiny little part of the thumb or the tiny little part of the floor or something that's in front of us or in the distance. Tiny little spot in the distance, that's even better. And that, that will reduce our stress as well. So these are all lots and lots of very small practices all taught individually but collectively at the same time um, so that you can mix and match them.